Hey, Afronauts, I'm Chelsea Gaydon. And I'm Kale Bird, and we're your hosts for The Hero's Journey, where we sit down with emerging Black writers in the speculative fiction space. Today, our hero is Bethany C. Morrow. She's the author of the adult novel, Mem, editor of the YA anthology, Take the Mic, and her YA remix of Little Women, So Many Beginnings, is available in September of this year. Her debut YA novel, A Song Below Water, was an instant indie bestseller and an Audi, Ignite, and Locust finalist. Her latest release, A Chorus Rises, is set in the same universe as A Song Below Water, and we can't wait to dive in. Thank you for joining us today, Bethany. Thank you for having me. So, Bethany, you captivated readers with the magical sister friendship and contemporary fantasy world of A Song Below Water. Can you give us a little, um, a little more about A Chorus Rises? Tell us why it's a, a must-read as well. Oh, okay. This is this this is a must read because when a song below water came out, which I wrote in response to um, well, watching black women be completely simultaneously people wanting to emulate and to be us and to consume us constantly, but also to eradicate us and never mm. attribute that that strength and magic to us unless they're trying to use us as some magical mule. So, um, I wrote a song below water and I intentionally did not you know pluck a black girl and put her in the middle of whiteness all by herself I gave her a sister friend because black sisterhood is life-saving and I also have another black girl character who's a different kind of magical creature named Naima and they don't get along um, but Naima is a part of the network that helps protect and shield uh, Tavia as a siren so imagine my surprise when immediately upon people starting to get that book, um, everyone almost started feeling really comfortable saying stuff like, oh, I hate Naima. Naima's the antagonist or Naima, the mm. villain of the story. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, time out, time out. Mm. Um, you think that the villain in a story about misogynoir, you think the villain in a story about white supremacy is a 16 year old black girl? That's what you thought? Like, that's what you thought I did? Um, so that was a hell no. And this is the first book I ever wrote out of spite. Nice. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. That, that's what's up. Okay, so I, I love that because you do have Naima's character in there who is different. You know, she, she does challenge her. And especially, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone that hasn't already read A Song Below Water, but just how everything ended Right. With the two of them. Yes. Um. <laughs> the way things ended. I, this is this is what I this is what I really want to say. And and look, the book's been out for a year, so I'm I know. Sorry, I feel know. like a year yeah. is like enough time, but like that's your fault. That's your fault. That's like people being like, "Don't spoil Game of Thrones." Like, what are you talking? It's about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too late. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> so um, the thing about the end is before that moment. Let's say before the prom scene. What did Naima do? Like what, what did, how, how would you ca justify calling her the antagonist before, mm. the, before the prom scene? In the prom scene, she does something that is really not cool, but is also, yeah. she's a teenage girl. And these are, yeah. you know, this is two girls that she goes to high school with that she doesn't get along with. And also what happens at prom and what is done to her is heinous. Yeah. Is absolutely heinous. And nobody said, anything about that part so the so of uh, course rises starts at prom 
Ah. A chorus rises starts with it being like, you know, victims have victims sometimes, right? Um, this is this is a situation where, listen, one of the big themes of this book, I think, is anybody you meet in somebody else's story, you don't know. Mm. If you mm. if you meet me in Chelsea's story, you don't know me. Mm. You know Chelsea, you know Chelsea's perception of me. You don't know me. So it was just ridiculous to me how hard people were, and, and we can't pretend that that wasn't misogynoir coming out because here were the two black girls who were easy to love, easy to sympathize with, who had trauma that the reader knew from jump. And here's this black girl who has loved herself since before you gave her permission, um, is extremely pleased with herself, has an abundance of self-confidence, is not asking anybody to like her or give her permission to like herself. And, and it was really easy, especially in a culture that loves quote unquote, like heroifying the villain in other stuff. Like we don't oh, thrive sure. on that, right? Sure. Team Killmonger, Team Killmonger, okay? <laughs> yeah. I love That's Loki, true. I love true. Loki, but here comes a 16 year old black, listen. Oh. Oh, okay. So you brought up Loki, and it's true. When people started giving Loki all the love at the beginning, I was like, wait, he was the bad guy. But it was like instant. I mean, like there was love everywhere. 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 If you, anything you watch, are you guys are you guys watching Shadow and Bone? Like uh, you know, the darkling, and it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, step on my neck. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> you can't always we I this is why it's so easy oh. to clock because it's totally consistent till it gets up to a black girl. Oh. You're right. You're right. And it's she's a kid. And she's a and child. She's, she's a whole yeah. child. She is a yeah. 16 year old child. I'm sorry. I was like, we're not doing this is what we're not doing today. Man, now you got me hype. I'm ready. I know, for her. I'm, I'm ready, ready for to fight somebody. I'm ready to fight somebody. Oh <laughs> He's like, knuckle up. Let's, Let's go. go. Oh, okay. Uh, I keep, I want to keep talking about this. But first off, shout out to being able to take the story and mirror what's going on in real life with it. Like the second I get into it, I'm like, oh, this is this is it. And like, it's amazing how you use sirens as a way to like be an example for what's going on. And the, the collar frustrated the mess out of me just the, the whole time. I was just so angry, like. You know how, you know how, how little imagination it took to come up with that? Oh, see, dang, yeah, yeah. Look, I've, I've almost every interview that I've done about A Song Below Water because the thing about not having ample representation in authors um, on this side of the desk is that people, sometimes they talk about it like it's too profound. And I'm like, that lets me know that you have not been paying attention because I am mm. not, the, I, am, I am one in a long, proud tradition of Black American, specifically Black American authors who use the speculative to illuminate the truth. So if you're coming out here acting like, I mean, when people started saying stuff like hauntingly prophetic, I wrote this in 2017. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was talking about that recently, too. When, um, when I started querying, people were like, oh, wow. and my um, story also deals with... Um, the stuff that we deal with all the time it starts with the police shooting and it's stuff like, that's not new that's not new and someone has said oh wow like the timing is perfect i'm like yo i wrote this years the ago the timing no, the time, i didn't write this yesterday i wrote this three years ago nothing the audacity. Like, the I audacity. Know. just I know. just the the flagrant audacity with which people will tell you they ain't been paying attention 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, oh. And I loved how you had different shades of blackness. Like the, yes. every single person in there was different. You know, the girl that decided that I'm going to wear a collar all the time. And I'm going to show you guys like this. this Look, is are we, can, can we can we talk about it? We, yes, 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 yes we can. Yes, we can. There is only one scene. There's only one thing that I actually took out. And I only took it out, not because I didn't like it, but simply because, again, it wasn't it wasn't Tavia's story. And it was an episode of Lexi on a Leash. So Lexi in A Song Below Water is the siren. And of course, in this world, all sirens are black women. So I've got to tell you that Lexi's a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the, the most famous um, siren. And she has a reality TV show, Think E Network um, reality TV show. And she goes around wearing a collar that silences, a siren silencing collar, which is the same thing that's used by authorities when they suspect, because remember, there's no way to check if a black woman is a siren. Mm. Um, when they suspect that a black woman is a siren, you would use this uh, this sort of collar. So you've got this woman who has made an entire career and become famous for, you know, again, and it, it becomes like a Oh, so that we, for, for everyone's safety, for everyone's, when really what it is, is you have ingested self-hatred, you have ingested Mm -hmm. anti-Blackness. And I wanted this book to be about Black sisterhood because it is life-saving. And I don't mean that in terms of every single one of us escapes unscathed from the intentional socialization that is meant to dehumanize us. We don't all. Candace Owens exists. Okay, like... I was waiting for you to say her name because as soon as I saw the character, I was like, oh, this is Candace Owens. That's the first thing I thought. And the thing is, the I self-hating black, yeah. Uh, self-hating, and and the, here's, here's the thing, especially as a student of sociology, what I want to make super duper clear, the reason you're not going to see me on the timeline talking shit about Candace Owens um, or pretty much anybody like her is because that's the, that's the natural conclusion of what America has done. That's that's the desired outcome. That's Ooh. the, every one of us Ooh. that's not like that is a revolution walking. You have to understand that if you are intentionally placed in a pressure cooker, if you are intentionally erased, consumed, uh, attempted eradication, literal chattel slavery, literally segregated, told where you can live, where you can work, what you can do, how you can talk, how you can dress. If you do this for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then you look at the person who reflects the fact that that was done, who reflects the fact that you've been telling me this entire time that I'm not a person, but you are. If you tell me that talking about my struggle makes me not as intellectual as you, makes me not as strong as you, makes me not as quote unquote unbiased as you, and you're surprised that a couple of uh, a couple of flies get caught in the net. I'm not mad at I'm not mad at Candace Owens. I feel horrible for her. That is the saddest thing to look at, and the hair yeah. always gives it away. Yeah. But but I but that's not who I'm mad at. It's mm. it's just it's just reality. If I'm gonna show you a system of oppression, a culture that does this, you have to show that there are casualties. Oh. Yeah, and you got to <laughs> focus on the root cause too. Oh, you're right. You're right. I mean, because they don't spend saying. the book slandering Lexi. They don't spend. No. They don't. They don't sit around talking, talking about Lexi and, and bad mouthing Lexi in the book. 
It's just a given that she would exist. Of course she exists. Of course she exists. And it was brilliant the way that you did that because you don't have to say anything. Once you know who she is, then you already know how we already view her. And that was right. it. You yeah. didn't need to dig into it. You didn't need to say anything else. You didn't need to, you didn't need to explain it to anyone because if they don't get it, they don't get it. If you do get it, you do get it. Like, that's, that's great, man. Okay, so yeah. before I get to my second question, um, it's going to tie in. But with Naima and the way that things went down at the end, when, when Tavia said, get her, I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, how? Like, you did not just do that. <sighs> I wasn't mad though. I mean, you no, I, I went, eh. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. I could completely understand. And when I wrote it, I had no intention of writing a follow-up, right? So when I wrote that scene, I wasn't going to intentionally explicitly say to the reader, you know, that wasn't okay, right? <laughs> like, because if I'm in Tavia's position and I'm saying the same thing that I say about Naima, which is this is a child, this is a child who has been put under undue trauma and stress and just persistent dehumanization. To me, it was clear that this is a moment of acting out of trauma. This is a, this is a mm. post-traumatic response to something. And I trusted that as the protagonist, if you're, if you, if you're, if you've come all this way with this character, I trust that, that people would, would have been able to see like, that actually was not cool. Uh, like there's something wrong with what was done. Um, but I know that doesn't make her a bad person. So imagine my surprise when everybody seemed to be like, that was perfect. Of course, I, I would have done the same. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you guys not know how to love somebody critically? Do you not, do you not know how to look at something from somebody that you care about and somebody you understand and say, I completely understand why you did it. I can't condone that you did it. I don't agree with the fact that you did it. I, the only part that I was explicit about was that she had taken something from her sister in doing that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that had to be that had to be brought up because of the consent question. Um, I couldn't not say something about that, but I just thought it was really it. I'm telling you, I I know how what I disagree with and how people don't critically think and how people don't critically consume and and why literature is so important, but also. Uh, when we don't do it right, when we don't have proper representation, when we don't have inclusion, uh, why that's so bad. And I already knew that, but watching how people default to the easiest, I was, I will say as a, as a, so again, as a student of sociology, I was a little bit disappointed with um, the resistance to engaging in what happens when you cease being the perfect victim. Mm. Do, are you do you still understand me do you still value me as a person are you is there any grace and forgiveness for me or do you have to literally act like it didn't happen because that's not useful so once so again this is real life this is real life where you take anyone who is a victim and suddenly they're trying to figure out hey what's their arrest record what they exactly. do beforehand exactly like and, and, all of and, that and doing especially as as people reading this book and and erasing the the bad that Tavia does you understand that you're reinforcing you're reinforcing that perfect uh, that that impossible perfect victim narrative which results in a constant um character assassination of black victims 
they go hand in hand. And just because it doesn't look exactly, it's the reverse of it. You have to invert it, invert it, beloved, and figure out what it means, right? Like, if you do this, if you can't handle that she did something wrong, understand that's why they go after people's characters. That's why Mike Brown was not an angel, because that's all we had to say for you to stop caring for you to stop caring about what was done to him. Now, suddenly it might be justified. All you had to tell me was this person isn't perfect. You need to be able to handle that Tavia is not perfect. Mm. And, and, and she's still a victim. Yeah. And she's still and if a victim. You can't, yeah. And if you can't, it says something about you. <laughs> well, then you don't understand the system of white supremacy that we live under. And Thank you don't you. understand how yeah. it pits people against each other, black people against black people using weapons that we have learned from the system around us to be able to do that. So then you say, hey, you get her because she's been coming after me this whole time. And now you got three people tangled up in something that didn't need to go that far. It did not have to go that far. And And look, if anybody's like, "Um, why YA? Well, I mean, that was a pretty YA moment to me. It was like, this just popped off for for just could have been de-escalated at any point multiple times in this scene um but who's gonna do it we're all we're all teenage girls in this moment you know uh with hurt feelings and and also real world trauma there's no such thing as the strong black woman who that's where that strength isn't born of something first of all and doesn't cost anything at some Mm. point at some point you're done at some point you're fed up at some point you're burnt out at some point you need to express your power even if in doing so you start to resemble the people who did something to you wow okay so i'm so excited about a chorus rises now because like even talking about this it's just stirring it up do you have a without giving anything away do you have a favorite character yes 100 easily courtney oh. is my absolute favorite so Uh, Naima's story begins, well, first you see from her perspective, a particular moment at prom. Um, And then you find that it's a year after the events of A Song Below Water and pretty much everything has changed. So this this is the summer after senior year for them. So they're officially done with high school. But you understand that Naima's senior year was very different from Mm. from every other year before she has gone from being you know the queen Oloko to basically it just did this okay because what we're dealing with is how much space do you have for black girls can there be three black girls that you respect Obviously not, because that's the whole reason I had to write this book. So, wow. um, so, so, so if you elevate, if you elevate Tavia, if suddenly Tavia is elevated, you don't got room for for Naima anymore. So there's got to be a complete turning of the tables where suddenly, oh, you thought you thought because you were a loco, you thought we were serious when we said we loved you because you were a loco, but you're also a black girl, and now suddenly we remember that you're a black girl because we only have room now for this other black girl, right? So she goes through a a process of, and and what I want people to understand, this is not a redemption story because Naima, if she apologizes, she apologizes to individual people. She does not apologize to the world. She's she's Mm -hmm. not that girl, it's not gonna happen. Um, So she is not doing what they want, which is to cut yourself where we can watch you bleed. Show us how much pain you're in, show us how much you need us. Um, 
and Naima's not that girl. So it just does not get better because she's not doing it. She's not taking a knee. She's, you know, so she ends up leaving Portland for the first time and going to the Southwest where her mom's family is from because they're having a family reunion and okay. she's never actually been to a family reunion because her family does not leave Portland because Portland is the Iloco hotbed. And as soon as she gets down there, she's reconnected with her cousin, Courtney, uh, who used to, who came up and visited her one time when they were in fourth grade and they were like the best of friends and he wanted to be a loco. And, and then it was her turn to go visit and it just never happened because the loco don't leave Portland. So there's a little bit of tension between them because he's like, okay, but you're basically, it's, it's a very, I love this book because there's a, just a lot of black family in it to me and um even even to the point that like my editor was like it's a different day why are they still at the at the family reunion and i was like oh girl <laughs> yo this, um, this is going on for days this is a week-long event my <laughs> friend uh we have excursions we have a banquet we have a talent show we there's have like t-shirts there's everything, there's everything. They, they got, of course they got t-shirts of course they got t-shirts the t-shirts say for one hour i mean what these t-shirts exactly we got our book we, I was like, this is, so I had such a good time with this because she goes down there right before the reunion starts, which means she's involved a little bit in helping like finish getting ready for the reunion. And you just see so much, so much about like, at least for me about what it feels like to have a big family and to have this like, you know, extremely, extremely over the top family reunion stuff. And this, uh, this cousin who at first is kind of, and there's nicknames, that was the big thing, you know, because yes. ain't nobody called by their uh, government name. Nope. So her, so she goes down there and finds out that her nickname is Sheba. And, um, <laughs> and she don't know that because she's never been down there. Um, uh. But so she, she realizes what some of the what some of the tension is and what some of the the family gossip and stuff and uh, around her and you know her her family unit is like um but courtney is just i just love him so much because it's just like it's like my brother it's like my cousin Teule. even if you people don't understand if they're watching an argument or something that looks very much like an argument but then there's like an interlude where you're joking with each other because somebody said something that reminded you of something that had happened a couple of years ago and now we're kikiing and then it's like i thought you guys were <laughs> i thought this was an argument um but it was it was really fun because it felt like putting a lot of my my childhood friendship with with my cousin Taylor into it and a lot of putting in my brothers into it um so I just I love their dynamic he is he's the person that you get to watch love Naima first because she's Naima it has nothing to do with her being a loco it's not a worship type of relationship it's just this is my this is my cousin we grew up together and so he's also the person who claps back at her um <laughs> i love it yeah. yeah so i haven't um read enough about Ilocos. like that was my first real encounter with same, the same. mythology like i don't know anything about it how did you choose to go with the locos yeah so the thing is that of course um I didn't go with 
Boloko because if you okay so it's Central African mm-hmm. um, Central African folklore right and pluralized it would be Boloko and one of the first things that I did was the problem with the lack of representation is then when we do share something we become a text we become an academic text I'm introducing you to something so I don't get to have an imagination I've got to make it succinct and exact because you're coming mm. only to me for this information because you don't have Google because you don't care enough to read nonfiction or to know anything about any other culture but the thing is I'm not Central African I'm from California I'm Black American so this is specifically and intentionally diaspora fantasy so, and it's basically the way that I explained it to my team was like, this is the telephone effect, okay? This is when a culture, okay, let's, let's say, because I have uh, Geechee on my, on my um, paternal grandmother's side. So let's, let's say, even if that was like the, the start, even, if, even in the United States, first of all, I'm mainland. Secondly, I'm not in the South. Thirdly, I'm on the West Coast, which is a mm-hmm. specific culture all its own. So what I have heard, this is why I say I'm Geechee descended and don't say I'm Geechee, right? Because I don't know. I don't know what that actually looks like up close, personal, in the community. I don't know what that is. I didn't live that. So if I tell you something, it's something that was told to me, that was told to them, that was told to them. By the time it gets to me, it's no less valid we oral traditions are huge, you know, from the continent, oral traditions are just as relevant and valid as any other type of cultural passing on and historicity. Uh, so I'm not concerned with it being quote unquote wrong. And anytime <laughs> we have a birthright to these things, anytime a black American riffs off of riffs off of something, to me, that's diaspora fantasy. And I have a right to do that. And I'm gonna continue to do that. So if you come to my work looking for the quote unquote truth of what this mythos is, that's not a, you divorced me from it intentionally. You interrupted my connection to it. Now you're going to come to me and critique whether I got it right or not. Like, no. And um, Oh, sorry. Not sorry to interrupt you, but, and when it comes to like, you know, European fantasy, no one's asking for exactly. 100% accuracy. Exactly. Or exactly. to be, you know what I mean? So it's that's, just the, big, like, that's the biggest thing. Like, why are you asking me these questions? Like, you're not asking those questions to the people who, you know, make the the millionth elf story. Because we are so, we are all, and this is why we say like, oh, that will be like, well, why isn't it appropriation? When you talk about A, you don't know where things originated. So people thought that this, that the um, siren mythos was like, oh, they're like, oh, and you're riffing off of Greek mythology. And I was like, Greek where? What are you talking about? You didn't, you, did you think it started there? You think that was the first use of Cyrus was in Greek mythology, beloved, come on. So I'm like, the biggest problem is that I can't appropriate something that was forcibly given to me. You forced me to know European fantasy. You forced me to have, you know, for periods of time, straightened hair or cover my natural hair. You forced me to speak this language. You forced me. So you you, you don't get to claim appropriation now when you forced all of this on me, right? So we've therefore been, you know, baked in with with their mythos. We've been baked in with Tolkien and, you know, and and uh, even our, you know, the Disney representations of of of, um, of mermaids and anything like that and fairies and different stuff like that. So people just make the assumption that we are all so fluent in that and we all 
we all agree that that's the genesis, that it's perfectly okay for us to riff on that. But I was like, the point of my book is to decenter Europe in fantasy in the first place. So it's not a lack of world building. It's a lack of world building you can recognize because you're looking for connections to a very new part of the world, first of all. It's really, really cute when it's like, this is where Siren mythology started. They haven't been around long enough. What are you talking about? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Um, I had pictures of like Mamiwata and different mermaid culture from the Caribbean and from the continent. So it was crazy to me when people were assuming that, that I was getting wrong something that they just assumed I was talking about in the first place. Wait, was, that, that came up? Like people thought that you were, okay. Ooh, that you were getting some from. People had criticisms about that. I said, here's the deal. And then, but then, you know, here's the thing. My target audience is black girls. I'm writing YA because my target audience is literally teenage black girls. Anybody can read these books, but my target audience is black girls. So yeah. the reason there's not a glossary and the reason that there's not explanations of certain things is because I wasn't talking to you. So <laughs> like, for, I love for it. me, I love it. For, for me, it's like there were, there were, and you know, remarkably few, but there were people that were like, oh, it's like, I think she's assuming that we, you know, she's not doing world building because she's assuming that we all know this. And I feel like there could have been more. And then you'll see a review from a black girl or a black woman that'll be like, she's rebuilding mythos from the ground up using the building blocks of something I recognize and I'm in love with this. And I'm like, good, because it was for you. So mm. I'm not really concerned. <laughs> That's so great. I love that you took it and made it your own. And um, you're talking about stuff that uh, all of us Afronauts talk about like all the time, because we're always- Seriously. This the is fantasy a, stuff, like- The fantasy stuff, yes. Yeah, I'm writing a, a Afro fantasy right now. And it's just like, I I was having these thoughts like, oh, can I, am I allowed to use African fantasy? And I'm thinking, what other choice was I given? You know, Perfect. like- called yeah. Th there you go that's right you you can do it yes and then we had the we had a conversation about that because um i love that you took a black american story and incorporated the african mythos in it because that's like it, it puts it all together and that's perfect because that's where we always struggled we had this conversation about okay we're black americans we have a very black american experience and we see a lot of people who are first generation Americans whose parents come yeah. from the continent and then they are the ones who are able to say, hey, oh, this is a Nigerian story. This right. is like, you know, and we don't have that connection because we right. can't. So then we're like, can we still use these things? Yes, birthright. Like, I love it. There you go, Chelsea. Keep using yep. it. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. I love Absolutely. how you said this. Is, we ain't talking about Greek mythology. Who? Greek they, what? Who? Come on. Come on. No, no. And yeah, so you took that and then you started building. I love that. Um, the stuff about the um, the neck biting. Oh my gosh, I was dying with that. Oh. I was like, how can this be funny and also uh, kind of traumatic? Oh, it was both. <laughs> that, it was yes, both. That, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. and, and what was so great is that he never explained why he was gone. He just ghosted and that was it. And I was like, oh, dang. Well, like, I was thinking high school boy, you know? Oh, like, yeah. That, that, that's oh, yeah. It's going to come up. It comes up. It comes up again. Okay. I, I wondered because, if it was going Because, to. again, you've only known Priam as the guy that Tavia really liked who ghosted her. 
Oh, and we don't get him. Like we don't get his story. We don't get to talk to him. We don't but get but you that. haven't seen Priam, the guy who was in love with Naima. No. Yeah. So so yeah. So you get much more of and somebody. It's hilarious because people are reading right now. So I'm getting a lot of text messages. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody was like, oh, okay, I see, I see we're gonna, I see we're gonna, we're gonna make Priam likable. And I was like, you didn't know him before. You knew him as, as a kid who broke up with your protagonist. Like, but the funny thing is, you know, because there wasn't um, the love interest, the, the relationship in, in uh, A Song of the Water was, I mean, to spoil it, if you haven't read it, I'm so sorry, is between Wallace and Effie. And Wallace mm-hmm. is a is a brown boy and he's a person of color as well. So, uh, which people keep forgetting because as much as we like to say, oh, you know, you can have interracial relationships and not have a white person involved. It's funny that there's a really strict dichotomy on the timeline between black love and interracial relationships that involve a white person. So I'm like, you're, you're, it, cause, cause whenever the discussion comes up, it's like, well, who's even writing stuff with, I'm like, uh, <laughs> you told, you totally skipped over that. That's a, that's a, you know, two people of color in an interracial relationship. And I don't have a problem with interracial relationships. Obviously I actually feel some kind of way about saying black love and excluding people who don't have a black romantic partner because I have a ton of black love in my life. I'm sorry. Um, I have siblings. I have parents. I have best friends. I have my girls. I have like, I'm please stop. Please stop making black love one thing. Cause that's really, really offensive. Um, but I also realized that, you know, I was married to a third generation Norwegian for more than 15 years and have a 16 year old son um, who is, he's black, but I'll say he has other stuff in him, whatever. Um, <laughs> but like when you're, I think Jordan Fuego talked about this really well and she's the author of Ray Bearer when she talked about the fact that representation depends and good representation depends on what representation has come before. And as much as I don't think there's actually been a lot of good representation of of, uh, black women in relationships with non-black men, we do see in a twist of anti-blackness people constantly wanting to put black men or black people with someone who's not black as a and it's be and the reason for that is to erase another black person. It gets really, really complicated, and it's a difficult conversation yeah, to have. But, but aspirationally, basically, what Jordan was talking about is representation has to be aspirational sometimes, and I completely agree with that. So, instead of writing relationships that look like my relationship, if doing that would contribute to something that I see used for anti-blackness, I don't want to do that often. Not because I have a problem with interracial relationships, not because I think that interracial relationships are counter to Black liberation. Um, Blackness isn't the confrontational status, whiteness is. So don't like, don't put that on us. Um, You can be a Black liberationist and love any number of other people. But as a writer and as somebody who's looking at the representation and looking at why people love to do this, I don't think that it's as useful it was baked in basically because we already knew in a song below water that Priam was with Naima. So if I tell Naima's story, Priam is going to obviously be in it. Um, but he's not there to make it more palatable. He's there because if I'm going to do this, 
I want to have a conversation about black girl. First of all, go where the love is. You deserve it. Every listen, all have fallen short of black women. All have fallen short of the glory of black women. All literally everybody, but yes. black women. <laughs> literally everybody, but black women. So I'm like, please black girl, go where the love is. And if you can't have a conversation about misogynoir, mm. if that person doesn't understand what is actually done to you in this society, that individual person is trash. Mm -hmm. You can't be with that person. Yes. Not, because, not because he's not black, because you have to be able to be you and you have to have somebody who honors you and to honor you, they have to see some shit that they didn't ordinarily have to see. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Yo, Bethany is a whole mood. Like <laughs> for real. For real. I'm just like, speaking to my heart right now. I know. We're supposed to be interviewing you. We just soaking it yeah, up. Exactly, I'm just like, this, exactly. is, this is healing. What's going on here? This is so great. And this is definitely one of those books where, man, if I had this book in high school, like Ooh. it would have been life-changing. It really I wish. Been. I can't we had none of these. There were no books like for this real? in high school. Oh god. I can't even imagine. And that that sucks. I mean, I I'm I count myself as extremely blessed because I was in the IB program and I was introduced to Toni Morrison in high school, like in a classroom setting where it wasn't, you, mm -hmm. you know, where the canon was being challenged in 1996, 1997, because I was in this particular program, because I was in, so it's not like, it's not like everybody in my high school was reading Toni Morrison, but the fact that I read Toni Morrison in a classroom where everybody had to think about her words, everybody had to ruminate on it, everybody had to had to try to understand and 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 be able to discuss her glory. That was absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But it was also older literature. Yeah, it was also you know what I mean. And we've asked black kids so often to look backward. And I don't mean don't do history, but understand that there is power in representation. And we know that because if it weren't powerful, they wouldn't intentionally barricade it, okay? Um, if it didn't mean something, if it didn't feed you, they wouldn't be erasing you. Just reverse engineer what's being done to you so that you understand what has value sometimes. like. So I love Toni Morrison and I love Octavia Butler, but only being able to look at, at people who are much older than me, people talking about a time before I was born, uh, pointing me back to the civil rights era or pointing me to a different country, a different continent was like, you're still kind of getting the message, I'm not real. Mm, yeah. I'm a black girl on the West Coast in the 90s so I must not be real. Wow. Yo, me, I'm sitting here thinking that you're like 25 and then you mentioned you're a grown kid. <laughs> yeah, okay. And I realized we were the same age. When uh, you started talking about your years in high school, I'm like, oh, we're the same age. Okay. <laughs> I, was, oh, I love job. it. I love it because I will tell you that I have literally told people on Twitter multiple times my age because I'm like, whoever is Whoever is Googling Bethany C. Morrow age, I'm 38. <laughs> Whoever please stop, Googling please stop. There you go. Stop Googling. I'm a, full, I'm a full adult. Please stop. <laughs> okay, now, now that wisdom makes sense, huh? She doesn't look like yes. got some wisdom she in lives in life. Yeah. yeah, she has. Oh, man. What's dope? What's dope? So do you have any advice for any new writers out there yes. just starting out? Like, I'm sure you have tons, but we love I, to hear it. 
you know, the, the thing is that I probably don't have the kind of advice that people expect you to have for, because, because if you ask me, do I have advice for people? I am just talking about um, Black people. So, um, <laughs> so my, Listen, I mean, we're we here for it. Hey, let's we're go. the Afronauts. For real, let's go. So. Why would I have advice for other people? Y'all need help. Um, my biggest advice for, for Black writers, number one, is follow your passion write what the thing that you want to write the thing that you feel encouraged and excited and edified to write write that first um because this is a very difficult this can be a very difficult um industry not just to get into but to stay in um and and i mean even from just like a it gets old, right? It gets old dealing with this in every every walk of life, every aspect of our life. Yeah. So it's like if you are out here doing anything but what you want and need to do, why? Like, what are why? Don't do that. Um, <laughs> and and also because um, you're not misreading situations. You're not. You're not misreading coded language. You're. That's all happening. That's actually happening. Um, I think that's super important to just go ahead and can we, can we please just tell people, it's not you. It's them. Um, so I, I don't have to worry about saying, oh, that doesn't mean that you don't have to work on your craft because black people don't try to show up and, and get credit for no work. Um, so, yeah, yes. the, so that's clearly not what we're talking about. We're talking about. Yes, I see that it's taking you way longer to get representation. Yes, I see that in the seasons where people want to in explicitly seek you out, it's for their own benefit. And therefore, you are not always given the benefit of editorial direction and refinement. And you are put out there looking wild, knowing that everybody else is getting rounds and rounds and rounds of help to get polished because people care about the longevity and the trajectory of their career. Meanwhile, a lot of us are getting scooped up for the moment and people aren't really investing in you. So I've told, I've, I've told several young writers, even when you get an agent, um, even when you get your first, your first contract or something, even when you sell your first book, there are a lot of different ways that this industry is anti-Black. And one of them is not editing you enough, not giving you the mm. editorial time to breathe, to develop, to refine, because please trust white girls are not showing up with these books. I was in a, I was in a debut group where I thought I was going to get a 75 page editorial letter because you had people literally talking about, I have to rewrite two thirds of the book. Okay. You don't have to worry about that because nobody buys stuff from us that isn't ready to go. No, nobody's extending that confidence to us and buying books that need to be completely rewritten. But you have to understand they are not only accustomed to being picked up before they're polished, but being given chance after chance after chance after chance to perfect and refine it. And by the time they come out, what does it look like? It looks like they're, it looks like everybody just come, showed up this way. I just woke up like this. And I'm like, don't let them lie to you because the there is a very violent anti-Blackness involved in picking somebody up, putting them out too early, not giving them a long enough leeway of editorially in-house and then pushing their book out there, hoping that um, BLM is gonna carry it 
And then if it doesn't, who cares? We didn't invest too much money anyway. And when you can't get another deal, it doesn't matter to us because we really were just trying to see if we could profit off of this moment. I want to tell people like, know that, know that you deserve to be here and you deserve the attention that is completely normal in this industry. Like it is normal to have multiple rounds of revision. It is normal to sometimes need an extension to make sure that your work is as polished as it can be. It's not a compliment if somebody pushes you right out the door. Wow, that is huge. We yes. actually had this conversation, was it yesterday? I, or, I'm pretty sure. We've been talking about this. We like have been talking about this. Books being rushed out, not being edited. Like, And I love how you said attention. Like yeah. you deserve the attention. Yes. It's it's not like an insult to get like your work polished. You you no, want to it, put your it, best it, stuff out there. It means that they're investing in the quality of your work. And I what I'm seeing is a trend of black authors not being afforded that and not recognizing that as an anti-black tactic. Um, which I do. I'm sorry. I that's that's what it is to me, because you you wouldn't do that to other people. Yeah, it's a it's a trend for sure. And this is crazy because, you know, for a second, you start to wonder if you're making it up, if you're like saying like this, this That's is edited what differently. Right. That's what gaslighting is for, right? It's uh, making you like, think, am I tripping. crazy? Right. It's like, you're tripping. That's why I say, I, and I, I remember the first time I said this in an interview and it got real quiet and they were like, oh, okay. Because I was, because I was like, if you are asking me, do I have advice or do I have feedback for young black writers? I'm going to start with, you're not crazy. What you think is happening is happening. Yeah, oh. and that, that's huge. I think one of the things that I'm taking away from all this is that all these things that we're thinking are correct and keep going forward. Like and keep going, exactly yes. because yes. because that for, for me the truth is the most encouraging thing. I'm not telling you that so that you back out. I'm telling you that so that you know what you're up against. Because if you know what you're up against, you can prepare to do yes. what you came to do. Man, that's so good. Get ready for that fight. Got to keep oh, swinging. Knuckle up. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, you know, thank you so much for joining us today. Like, this has been so great. This yes, has been this like amazing. Thank you. Amazing. So, much. so refreshing. You got me fired up. Um, yes. That's what we want. So, yes. just personally, like, everything you said resonates. And I feel this all the time, like, you know, just wanting to speak truth. Yes. And one of the things I know that's hard for up and coming black writers is how do I speak my truth and mm -hmm. still get out there? How, yes. do I, how do I not, you know, write to the white gaze? How do I not try to make sure, oh, this editor is digestible for this editor. I don't want, I don't, I don't want that. I want to write what I want to write. And so you're, you're helping with that. Like just keep, Writing. Same, same. And thinking about just being honest, like talking honestly about the Black experience with yes, the writing yes. and the publishing industry. Like, yes. I remember when we were starting this podcast, we were like, okay, we're going to be speaking our truth. Like, we know we want these writing careers, but we got to be honest. You have to be honest. Like, there's, there would be no point. If you get to change me en route to where I'm trying to go, what is the point of me getting mm. there? Like, what is the, if I had to, if I had to put on a mask, what was the point? That's so true. Yeah. What was the point? What was exactly. the point? Oh, that's so awesome. Thank you again. This is really great. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys having me also. So thank you so much for your support. 
Of oh. course. So, so where can our listeners find you, Bethany? You already know you can find me on Twitter because that is where <laughs> <I live. laughs> it's at BC Morrow, which is the same for Instagram. I am better with Instagram, but I remember before a song of the water came out that my team was like, you know, you got an Instagram, right? And I was like, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, I feel the same way about Instagram. Like, I, I like, I get it. And now. You got it well, now. You get, I get it? it. I get it better now. It's not, if you go over there and you're like, Bethany, why are you still? Yeah, she, she don't get it. <laughs> why are you still, why are you still posting pictures of your tweets? I'm like, because words matter more to me. And it was super important. I don't know. Um, and so see, I, I was going to say, y'all go follow her on Twitter. If you don't it, like you need to yes, go follow Twitter, her on Twitter. Twitter is where you want to, the Twitter is where you want to hang out with me. <laughs> Stay tuned for more heroes. You can find us on social media at Afronauts Pod. See you next time.